0: And there's a couple of reasons for that. (coughs) Excuse me. First reason is it puts a lot of scriptures uh, into context. It's a real good example of the importance of reading your Bible and finding the context of what you're reading. things that you read, today's English, today's meanings, today's cultural understanding... Of things are distinctly different than they were 2,000 years ago. And so if you have a cursory reading of a particular statement, you come away with a modern, up-to-day understanding of it, and you can be as far removed from the truth of the Scripture as your sin has been removed from your life. So, So this gives us a chance to look at some of the Contextual applications of uh, baptism, immersion, water baptism, and it also gives us a chance to uh, talk about the sacred. Uh, water baptism is an ordinance of the church, uh, being one of the sacred or—and I love this word—sacerdotal duties. Right? Not a nice word, sacerdotal. Sacred duties along. With the Lord's Supper that were personally commanded by the Lord to do as part of establishing the church. Okay? In Matthew 28 19, Jesus says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptisms is also listed in the book of Hebrews as one of the principles of the doctrines. Of Christ in Hebrews 6 1 and 2 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So, what are the origins of baptism? First under Noah baptism was a universal event. If you have a Bible and by the way if you need a Bible there are uh, stacks of them on the side tables you're welcome to take one of those and if you don't own one keep it as your own if you do borrow it for the duration. 1 Peter 3:18 through 21. Peter says for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water." the like figure or unto even baptism doth also now save us not putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward god by the resurrection of jesus christ so somewhere back in prehistory mankind is doing their own thing god looks down and he says you know i'm looking at their hearts and all that i see is wickedness i'm all done And so he baptizes, totally immerses the whole earth to the saving of only eight souls. So the first instance of baptism, water baptism, is the great flood. Under Moses, water baptism was a national event. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is a, a really uh, unique picture of the power, the transforming power of water baptism. Here you have the children of Israel, the chosen people of God, have been in bondage for 475 years. Uh, They're in slavery to the powers of the world, and God sets them free. They pass through the Red Sea. They're immersed in the Red Sea. They come out on the other side. God destroys all of their enemies And they emerge as a new, free, rejoicing people on the far shore sold out to the Lord. That is a real good picture of what happens when you are water baptized. You go into the watery grave. The old man, the old self dies there. And you emerge in newness of life, freedom, and rejoicing in the righteousness of Christ that is now the source of your life. So... For Moses' day, it was a national event. Now, in the New Testament, it's an individual decision. In Matthew 3, beginning verse 13, says, Then came Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, two important things to note here. First of all, Jesus calls his baptism, his water baptism, a fulfillment of righteousness. There is something that takes place in the individual who is water baptized and emerges up out of that watery grave into the righteousness of Christ that is part of the fulfilling or ongoing work of salvation in the life of the believer. How many of you know that you were saved when you accepted Christ, right? Amen. Amen. You are being saved through the rest of your life. And in the end, when everything is finished, you're raised from the dead or raptured into your new body, you will be saved. It's an ongoing process. You don't just get saved, sit down in a nice chair in a church somewhere, and that's it. You are in process, okay? And part of that process to fulfill all righteousness is to be water baptized, Jesus being the example of that, okay? Along with that, number two, the important thing, heaven agreed. Heaven agreed with Jesus' assessment of water baptism. The Father spoke, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, all right? Now, how many would like that to happen to them, all Right? So, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Right. Get on under that water. Come up. Oh, here's Jim, my beloved son. Jim, I'm well pleased in you. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? So we find Jesus continuing the practice of water baptism in his own ministry in John 4, beginning verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples did. So Jesus continues the practice of water baptism. Now, I got to tell you, if you've ever been to Israel, you know this. um, The Jews were all about washing. They washed for everything. And if you go up by the Temple Mount, um, the temple is built on what is called scarp. Scarp is the lowest layer on a mountain that is solid stone. You might have dirt and soil and all of that is cleared away down to the bare rock, the scarp rock, and that's what the temple is built on. And that's what the steps are built into up to the temple. And all around the steps there are these these pits dug out in the solid stone. And they look like stand-up bathtubs, because that's essentially what they are, except they have two staircases. You have a staircase that goes down and a little dividing wall. And so, if you were a Jew, in Jesus' day, going up to the temple, you'd stop at one of these mikvah, the little bathtubs, and you'd go down, you'd get on these steps, and you'd wash. Now, when you get on the steps, you're dirty, you're unclean, you can't go up before the Lord, because you're unclean. You get on, you wash up, and you, you know, take your ritual bath, and now there's another set of steps to come up, because... You came down these steps, they're unclean. If you go back up them, guess what happens? You get unclean again, right? So they got another step, set of steps for coming up so that you come up out of the water and stay clean. So they get all kinds of weird about washing stuff. You know, washing your hands, washing your body. You know, and once you do, don't touch this, don't touch that, because then you're dirty. And if you're dirty and you touch someone else, then they're dirty. And if they're carrying a kid, the kid's dirty, and... And you can't go up to the house of the Lord. I mean, they were very, very particular about this. And Jesus was always bumping into that. How come your disciples are eating corn and they haven't washed their hands? Right? Remember that scripture? Jesus was always being challenged. Listen, it's really quite meaningless what's going on on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. See? And that's what baptism is about. It's an inside washing. It's not an outside. Well, yeah, you're going to get wet, but it's really about what goes on inside. So Jesus continues the practice of water baptism. And then, of course, the early church continued along the same lines in Acts eight thirty six through 38. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both of them, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Okay, so the early church continued on the practice of water baptism, even as Jesus had, and it continues on today as one of the sacred duties of the church. Now, just a side note here. Uh, John the Baptist speaks of two other baptisms that Jesus will perform. In Luke 3.16, it says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, the latch of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, I think this is really cool because... The elements that are involved here, you've got water baptism, which is a continuation of the process of righteousness, which usually leads into some type of experience with the Holy Spirit where you're baptized. Now, when the day of Pentecost came, it says that tongues of fire came down on the heads, right? So what's water made of? H2O, which is hydrogen, right? And... Hydrogen is highly flammable and quite explosive, I understand. <laughs> and oxygen. And oxygen is highly flammable and quite explosive, I understand. <laughs> so they get these two highly flammable elements, combine them together, and use it to put out fire. What the heck is that? <laughs> Do you ever think about that? <laughs> but I don't think it works that way in the kingdom. You see, I think the water ignites the fire. I think it has its true purpose in the spirit realm. I think going on towards righteousness lends itself to those other baptisms where God comes and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He baptizes us, immerses us in his own presence, and then lights us up. Who who was that great evangelist? Was it the 1700s? And he said, oh, just light me on fire and the people will come to watch me burn. Right? He, yeah, Finney, right? He understood. He understood that. There's a baptism of fire. And, and here's the thing. i got to warn you. Don't lightly ask for that. Okay? <laughs> Consider fire burns up things. There's any part of you you don't want to let go of? Don't ask for that, because he'll burn it up. You know, it'll turn to dust. It'll be ashes. And if you're not ready for that, you know, you're going to be pretty disappointed. It's not a light thing. It's a sacred thing. Holy, Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay? There are two important components to water baptism, which must be clearly understood to avoid error. And, and I got to say, there's a lot of error in water baptism, okay? The first is the method what is the method that's being used in the uh, in the water baptism? there are thre- actually three methods used in the church today. one is sprinkling and maybe you've seen that they got the little baby you know and they got this thing that looks like a rattle with a bunch of holes in it and they s- sprinkle the water on the baby that's one method. The other is pouring where they hold the baby or even an adult's head over a basin and they pour uh, a pitcher of water over their forehead, and, and they consider that baptism. And then the third is full immersion, full immersion. And, and uh, that is the, the method that we use. We, we will, if you're being baptized today, there isn't going to be a hair of you above the water when we get our hands on you, all right? All right? If we have to hold you down with our feet, you will be fully immersed, and this is funny because we we were ministering at a house meeting one time, and this guy Hav, um, six foot seven. Oh, I gotta be baptized! I gotta be baptized! And the lake was solid; I mean, it was eight foot thick. And I said, well, I don't know, we have to wait till the spring. He said, I can't wait. I said, All right, we'll fill up the tub. So we fill up the tub, and we have got six foot seven Hav in the tub, and we've got four guys standing over him on the rim of the tub, folding his body up. And one would push, and he'd pop out the other end, the other would push. And and we finally got him all of Harv under, so nothing was showing. And someone yelled, in the name of Jesus! (laughs) And we baptized Harv Forden in the tub. Now, thankfully, you won't have to go through any of that today. we got a big lake waiting for us, and uh, we'll be a little gentler with you. But we, we believe that is, that is the scriptural method for water baptism is full immersion. Okay. So, you know, how important is the difference? Let's go to Acts 2.37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, and what they heard was Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word there, baptized, is the word baptizo. It's derived from another word, bapto. Bapto, baptizo. It means baptism, baptist, baptized, wash to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge as a sunken ship, is a ship that's been baptized, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, or to overwhelm. Now, baptizo, not to be confused with bapto, uh, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician, Nicander, who lived about 200 BC. And it's a recipe for making pickles, okay? And it's helpful because it uses both words. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water. So what would you call it today? Blanching, right? You blanch it. You bapto that cucumber. In and out. Okay? And then baptized or baptizo in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. But the first is temporary, in and out. Okay? The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. Now, when used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism. Mark 16, 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. There must be a union with him, a real change, like the cucumber to the pickle. So today, all of you who are coming out to a peachy to be baptized, we're going to pickle you, okay? And we really like doing that. Now, here, here is the important thing to us in, in looking uh, at this word. When the Bible was translated into the English language, okay, the word baptizo translates to immerse. Whenever you see, reading in the Bible, baptized, baptize, think immerse, immersed. Y'all understand that, right? Which presented a major problem to the Church of England because they didn't immerse. They poured. So they come across this word baptizo, it, translated, it says immerse, and they say, oh, we don't do that. What are we going to do? Well, I mean, to me, the logical thing was change what you're doing, right? But we tend to be religious, so rather than changing what they did, going from pouring to immerse, immersing, ta-da, let's create a new English word. They created the word baptize. There is no English word baptize. There is baptizo that translates to immerse. But it doesn't fit their doctrine. So now they create the word baptize, and this is what baptize means. A sacrament of initiation into the church using the element of water. So they created a whole new word with its whole new definition. So then what happens is, so when we see the word baptize, we automatically associate that with the idea of some form of water baptism. Because we have been reading for the last 500 years an English Bible. So this is the importance of understanding it in context 2,000 years ago, Baptizo meant immersed. It meant what it meant what it meant. And guess what? It still does today. If you understand the scripture in context. Okay? So, this is how important this, this is to our theological thinking. And you might say, oh, what's the difference? You know, who cares? Well, this this Bible here... I can't take out of this case because um, it'll just fall into about 20 pieces. This I bought in 1983 so that I could go to Bible college with the Assembly of God. So this Bible has all my side column notes from 30 years of ministry and study in the Word. I bequeathed it to uh, Eric. so said, when I die, come and get this. All right, This will be worth something to you. So we did a study uh, in the AG on uh, seven steps to receive the Holy Spirit based on Acts 2.38. Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is what I've got in my side column Seven steps to receive the Holy Spirit. Number one, repent. Number two, turn from sin. Number three, water baptism. Number four, obedience. Number five, desire. Number six, asking. Number seven, receive. And it all made sense within the context of my doctrinal understanding of baptism. Okay? There's only one problem with that. There's nowhere in that scripture where they mention water. It doesn't mention water. Actually, nowhere where it mentions repenting from sin. This is what it says in context. And Peter said to them, Repent. What's repent mean? 180. Turn away from yourself. Isn't that what we do when we come to Christ? Less of me, more of you. Isn't that the program? Right? Repent has nothing to do with confession of sin we can confess our sin and receive forgiveness repent really means turn from self-absorption so peter says unto them repent and be immersed right the word is not baptized remember in context there is no word baptized repent and be immersed every one of you in the name of jesus christ oh It's a little different, isn't it? Anyone see water there? Be water baptized? He doesn't say that, right? What's he say to be immersed in? In the name of Jesus Christ. Turn away from yourself and immerse yourself in him, and you'll receive forgiveness of sin and the Holy Spirit. It isn't seven steps. It's a relationship because you can do all the seven steps you want and get nothing unless you've got a relationship, unless you're surrendering day by day yourself to the one who paid the price to give you life. And the more you give up of you, the more of him becomes evident. That's immersion in the name of Christ. So we can say, turn away from yourself, be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit so we can see that a full understanding of water baptism must be based solely on the idea of baptizo meaning immersion it's immersion okay so let's quickly look at two examples of scripture where there's a direct reference to water water immersion Mark 1, 9, and 10, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was immersed of John in the Jordan, and straightway coming up out of the water. All right? Direct reference to the use of water. The element of immersion is the water being referred to. Acts 8:38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down, both of them, into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him, and when they came up, out of the water. So the element of immersion, again, here is a direct reference to water, okay? But water is not the only element of immersion for the baptisms in Christian faith. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, okay? And we've got to... Look at the scripture in context to see where he's referring to. Not all baptized is about water. Are you tracking with me on this? Some of you look like deer in headlights. It's okay. We'll get you there. Second important component after the method, is the formula. What is it that we're going to speak over you as you disappear beneath the briny blue? You won't be able to hear what we're saying. And it's important to know what the formula is as you're down under the water, what we're speaking over your life. Remember, this is not the mundane, it's the sacred. And our words have power. Okay? So I want you to know when you're under the water, if you're being baptized today, immersed today, what we're saying over you as you get on under, all right? We find that the first issue that the Apostle Paul had to deal with in the Corinthian church was this exact issue in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, Oh, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. You see, it's significant. It is important you understand whose name you are being baptized in because people love to follow leaders. We put more stock in a leader than we should put into them and they fail us. I don't want you to ever think that I baptized you, that I paid any price for what you experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. I will let you down. Guaranteed, I will let you down. He will never, ever let you down. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He bought you with a price his own life. He's going to stand with you through thick and thin. If you're going to be tagged with any name, then be tagged with the name given under heaven by which you must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So what's the formula? Most of us would quote Matthew 28, 19, and um, it goes this way. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Any of you ever been baptized with that formula? Okay. If you look closely at the scripture in context, it's not a formula. It's a command or a commission. We call it the Great Commission. Once again, there's no mention of water. It's immersed in the name of, in the name of, okay? So let me give you an example of how this might work. This is Jesus speaking again. This is another commission in Mark, and he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, right? In my name they shall cast out devils. There's the statement. So you confront a demonically oppressed individual, and you say, well, Jesus said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. So, in my name, I command you to leave them right now. What do you think is going to happen? Nada, right? Either that or you're going to get beat up really bad by a whole bunch of laughing demons, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus, I know, but who the heck are you, <laughs> right? Right? doesn't work that way. See, in my name means use the name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you, unclean spirit, to leave. Now, boom, it's done. It's done. It's the same thing in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and baptize them, immerse them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we go out there and we put them under the water and we repeat the command rather than fulfilling it. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's his name? catching this okay. anyone tripping over this okay. now notice that in the commission it is name singular he doesn't say in the names plural of the Father Son the Holy Spirit so in John 5:43 Jesus says this: I am come in my Father's name. I am come in my Father's name. So, what's Jesus' name? His name is Jesus, right? And he's come in his Father's name. What's the Father's name that he's come in? Jesus. Okay, that's settled. That's easy. Or what about the Holy Spirit? In John fourteen twenty six, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you either repeat the command or you baptize them how? In the name of Jesus. And fulfill the command. Now, am I nitpicking? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) But, you know, I've gone through four water baptisms. When I was a baby, I was sprinkled in the Catholic Church. When I got saved, I was saved in a uh, Baptist-type church, and they baptized me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit in a little pool under the, the platform there. You know, the floor opened up, and that was kind of cool. And then when I heard this teaching, I got baptized in the Atlantic Ocean in November. That was kind of cool, right? Huh? <laughs> oh, <laughs> And then when I went to Israel, I got baptized in the Jordan River just because, right? You got to do that, so. I want the scriptures applied to my life accurately. I want to follow him to the best and truest of my ability to understand the word that he gave me. And if he says you're to be baptized in his name, I want to be baptized in his name. I don't want a repetition of the command. I don't have the authority to cast out a demon in my name. But I have the authority of his name to cast out demons. But I've got to use it. It's the same thing. I've got to use it. I've got to know it's on me, it's in me, it's flowing through me, it's coming out of me, it's my power, it's my dependence, it's my solid rock, it's the cleft that I'm stuck in as his glory passes by my life. He is the name above all names, and I want it in my life. Amen? So how do we apply this to water baptism? In Acts 8, 14 through 16, it says, Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts ten forty four. While Peter yet spoke these words... The Holy Ghost fell on all of them that heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can any man forbid water? You see, he's going for water baptism now, because they had been baptized in what? The Holy Spirit. Right, The Holy Spirit, there is one of the three baptisms. Right? So let's get some water. And Amen. forbid water, that they, these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be immersed in the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. So the formula that the apostles were using as they put them under the water was the name of Jesus or the name of the Lord. I baptize you now in the name of Jesus Christ which fulfills the great commission, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no other name given by which you must be saved. No other name. So what is water baptism symbolic of? We're getting close to the end here. Romans 6, 3 through 5 says, Know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized are immersed into Jesus Christ, were immersed into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by immersion into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians 2 says in verse 12, buried with him in immersion, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. When you go down under the water as a decision made, as a statement to the world around you, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. Today I die to me. That's all you can say. Today, I die to me. The rest you have to believe God for. See, you can go into the grave, but there's no guarantee you come up into newness of life. That's the operation of God. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. Believe that you will. Identify with Christ. Can you imagine being on the cross, nailed to the tree, looking at the tomb, and knowing in three days I'm going to be brand new. Because of that, he could endure the pain and the shame. It's the promise he has for you on the other side of your immersion, a newness of life. You can put yourself to death and raise up in the life that Christ has promised you today and it can be miraculous what are the requirements mark 16:16 16, 16 simply says if you believe if you believe acts 2:38 repent turn from yourself you're surrendering your life in this operation and acts 2:41 receive his word in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god the Word became flesh. Receive the Word. Immerse yourself, not just in water. Understand, you're going into something other than just water, something you can draw out of a tap. You're surrendering your life into Christ. You're allowing your yourself to die to self and immersing yourself in Christ. And finally, expect a miracle. When Jesus was baptized. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended, and the Father spoke. It's one of the only times we see the whole trinity displayed in the Gospels. The fullness of the Godhead was shown at Jesus' baptism. When Philip baptized the eunuch, so he came up out of the water, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he was found in Azusa. 500 miles away, in an instant, the Spirit took Philip up and started a revival in another city. Miraculous things happen when a life is surrendered to the God of the miraculous. Today, for some of you, it's your day for that. Let's stand and pray. So we bid you come, Holy Spirit. Immerse us with your presence and with your purposes for our lives. Lord, I pray for each one today who's heading for that watery grave. Lord, I pray that your word would go deep into their hearts and minds, that they would understand the commitment they're stepping into, the life change that you have promised for them, O God, and the purposes that you have for their lives. Lord, I pray that you meet them under the water, O God. Lord, that at the sound of your name being spoken over over their lives, O God, that your righteousness would flood into them and that they would never, ever, ever be the same again. Lord, we invite you to join us at Opichi Point today. Come and fellowship with us. Bless your people, Lord, and immerse us in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.